the effective critic. The first verse of Devarim, the fifth and culminating book of the Torah, sounds prosaic. These are the words that Moses spoke to all Israel beyond the Jordan, in the wilderness, on the plain opposite Suf, between Paran and Tovel, Lavan, Chatzerot, and Dizahav. Now, there's no hint of drama in those words, but the sages of the Talmud found one, and it really is life-changing. What's odd in the verse is the last place named Dizahav. What and where this what and where is this place? It hasn't been mentioned before, nor is it mentioned again anywhere else in Tanakh. But the name is tantalizing. Dizahav. It seems to mean enough gold. Gold is certainly something we've heard about before. It was the metal of which the calf was made while Moses was on the mountain receiving the Torah from God. This was one of the greatest sins of the wilderness years. Might the enigmatic mention of a place called enough gold have something to do with that? From these clues and cues, the sages inferred a remarkable drama. This is what they said. It comes from the Talmud Bavli. Moses, he hurled words. He spoke audaciously towards heaven. The school of Rabbi Yanai learned this from the words dizahav. What do these words mean? They said in the school of Rabbi Yanni, thus spoke Moses before the Holy One, blessed be he, sovereign of the universe, the silver and the gold, Zahav, which you showered on Israel until they said, die, enough, was what caused them to make the calf. Rabbi Chia Barabba said it's like the case of a man who had a son who bathed him and anointed him and gave him plenty to eat and drink and hung a purse around his neck full of money and set him down at the door of a house of ill repute. How could the child help sinning? Moses, in this dramatic rereading, is portrayed as counsel for the defense of the Jewish people. Yes, he admits to God, the people did indeed commit a sin. They made a golden calf. But it was you who provided them with the opportunity and the temptation. If the Israelites hadn't had any gold in the wilderness, they couldn't have made a golden calf. Besides which, who needs gold in the wilderness? There was only one reason the Israelites had gold in the wilderness, because they were following your instructions. You said to them, tell the people that every man is to ask his neighbor and every woman is to ask her neighbor for objects of silver and gold. You told them to take gold with them. Therefore, don't blame them if they took the gold and made a golden calf out of it. Please instead forgive them. Now, this is a wonderful passage in its own right. It represents what the sages call chutzpah klapi shamaya, audacity toward heaven. Incidentally, we tend to think of chutzpah as a Yiddish word, but in fact, it's an Aramaic word, and it comes to us from the Babylonian Talmud. The question, though, is this. Why did the sages choose this passage to make this point? After all, the episode of the golden calf is set out in full in the book of Exodus, chapters 32 to 34. The Torah tells us explicitly how daring Moses was in prayer. First, when God tells him what the people have done, Moses immediately responds by saying, Lord, why should your anger burn against your people? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and wipe them off the face of the earth? Now, that's audacious. Moses was telling God that regardless of what the people had done, it will be God's reputation that will suffer if it becomes known that he didn't lead the Israelites to freedom, but instead killed them in the desert. Then, 
descending the mountain, seeing what the people have done, Moses does another daring act, perhaps even more so. He smashes the tablets inscribed and engraved by God himself. And the audacity continues. Moses goes back up the mountain and says to God, these people have indeed committed a great sin. They made of themselves an idol of gold, but now please forgive their sin. And if not, blot me out of the book you have written. Now this is unprecedented language. This should be the passage to which the sages attached an account of Moses' boldness in defense of his people, why then attach it to here, an obscure place name in the first verse of the book of Deuteronomy, where it's radically out of keeping with the plain sense of the verse? I believe the answer is this. Throughout the book of Devarim, Moses is relentless in his criticism of the people. He says, from the day you left Egypt until you arrived here, you've been rebellious against the Lord. You've been against rebellious against the Lord ever since I knew you. His critique even extends to the future. If you've been rebellious against the Lord while I'm still alive and with you, how much more so will you rebel after I die? Even the curses in Deuteronomy have been delivered by Moses himself, much bleaker than those delivered in Sefer Vayikra in... uh, and unlike those earlier curses, they lack any note of consolation. Criticism is easy to deliver, but it's hard to bear. It's all too easy for people to close their ears or even turn the the criticism around. He's blaming us, but he should be blaming himself. After all, he was in charge. What does it take for criticism to be heeded? The answer is the people have to know beyond shadow of a doubt that the leader is always ready to defend them. They have to know that he cares for them. He wants the best for them. He's prepared to take personal risks for their sake. Only when people know for certain that you want their good do they listen to you when you criticize them. That is what led the sages to give the interpretation they did to the place named Dizahav in the first verse of Devarim. Why was Moses able to be as critical as he was in the last month of his life? Because the people he was talking to knew that he had defended them and their parents in his prayers for divine forgiveness, that he'd taken the risk of challenging God, that he had declined God's offer to abandon the Israelites and begin again with him. In short, that his whole life as a leader was dedicated to doing what was the best for the people. When you know that about somebody, you listen to them even when they criticize you. One of my all-time heroes is the great Hasidic rabbi Levi Yitzchak of Berdichev, lived in the 18th century. Many stories are told of how he interceded with heaven on behalf of the Jewish people. My favorite, doubtless apocryphal story is this. Levi Yitzchak once saw a Jew smoking in the street on Shabbos. He came up to him and said, Dear Jew, my friend, surely you've forgotten it's Shabbos. No, said the other. I know it's Shabbos. Then surely you've forgotten that smoking is forbidden on Shabbos. No, said the other. I know it's forbidden. Then surely you must have been thinking about something else when you put a cigarette in your mouth and lit it. No, said the other. I knew what I was doing. At this, Levi Yitzchak turned his eyes up to heaven and said, Rebbeinu Shalom, sovereign of the universe, who is like your people Israel? I gave this man every chance, and still he can't tell a lie. Well, the great leaders of Israel were the great defenders of Israel. 
the people who saw the good within the not yet good. That's why they were listened to when they urged people to change and grow. That's how the sages saw Moses. This was the man who had the audacity to win forgiveness for the people who made the golden calf. It is easy to criticize. It is hard to defend. But the Midrash about Moses tells us a life-changing idea. If you seek to change anyone, make sure that you're willing to help them when they need your help, defend them when they need your defense, and see the good in them, not just the bad. Anyone can complain, but we have to earn the right to criticize. Shabbat Shalom. Now this is unprecedented language. This should be the passage to which the sages attached an account of Moses' boldness in defense of his people. Why then attach it to here, an obscure place name in the first verse of the book of Deuteronomy where it's radically out of keeping with the plain sense of the verse? I believe the answer is this. Throughout the book of Devarim, Moses is relentless in his criticism of the people. He says, from the day you left Egypt until you arrived here, you've been rebellious against the Lord. You've been against rebellious against the Lord ever since I knew you. His critique even extends to the future. If you've been rebellious against the Lord while I'm still alive and with you, how much more so will you rebel after I die? Even the curses in Deuteronomy have been delivered by Moses himself, much bleaker than those delivered in Sefer Vayikra in Bechukotai. Uh, and unlike those earlier curses, they lack any note of consolation. Criticism is easy to deliver, but it's hard to bear. It's all too easy for people to close their ears or even turn the the criticism around. He's blaming us, but he should be blaming himself. After all, he was in charge. What does it take for criticism to be heeded? The answer is the people have to know beyond shadow of a doubt that the leader is always ready to defend them. They have to know that he cares for them. He wants the best for them. He's prepared to take personal risks for their sake. Only when people know for certain that you want their good do they listen to you when you criticize them. That is what led the sages to give the interpretation they did to the place named Dizahav in the first verse of Devarim. Why was Moses able to be as critical as he was in the last month of his life? Because the people he was talking to knew that he had defended them and their parents in his prayers for divine forgiveness, that he'd taken the risk of challenging God, that he had declined God's offer to abandon the Israelites and begin again with him. In short, that his whole life as a leader was dedicated to doing what was the best for the people. When you know that about somebody, you listen to them even when they criticize you. One of my all-time heroes is the great Hasidic rabbi Levi Yitzchak of Berdichev, lived in the 18th century. Many stories are told of how he interceded with heaven on behalf of the Jewish people. My favorite, doubtless apocryphal story is this. Levi Yitzchak once saw a Jew smoking in the street on Shabbos. He came up to him and said, Dear Jew, my friend, surely you've forgotten it's Shabbos. No, said the other. I know it's Shabbos. 
that surely you've forgotten that smoking is forbidden on Shabbos, nose of the mouth. I know it's forbidden. Then surely you must have been thinking about something else when you put a cigarette in your mouth and lit it, nose at the other. I knew what I was doing. At this, Lavi Yitzchak turned his eyes up to heaven and said, Rebani Shalom, sovereign of the universe, who is like your people Israel? I gave this man every chance, and still he can't tell a lie. Well, the great leaders of Israel were the great defenders of Israel. The people who saw the good within the not yet good. That's why they were listened to when they urged people to change and grow. That's how the sages saw Moses. This was the man who had the audacity to win forgiveness for the people who made the golden calf. It is easy to criticize. It is hard to defend. But the Midrash about Moses tells us a life-changing idea. If you seek to change anyone, make sure that you're willing to help them when they need your help, defend them when they need your defense, and see the good in them, not just the bad. Anyone can complain, but we have to earn the right to criticize. Shabbat Shalom.